I'm Stacy. I'm Jenny. And this is Learning for Life, a homeschool podcast. We are two homeschoolers who use different methods, curriculum, and strategies to make it all work. Our goal is to help parents teach kids how to develop a lifelong love of learning. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to part two of our summer book club in which we are discussing home education by Charlotte Mason. Part two is all about out of doors life for the children or if you are reading the modern version it's just put children outdoors i don't know stacy you chime in on that but yeah so we're here with my usual co-host stacy stacy say hi hello hello and yes it is called outdoor life for children in my book see she's so modern see mine was like (laughs) out of doors life but hers is just outdoor life. So that's the translation if you're confused about what out of doors means. Okay, and then we're also joined by our longtime friend slash family member, Christine Gustin. Hey. We're so glad to have you back here with us. Um, I just wanted to- I just wanted to quickly like say this really quick, just to remind people, this is a live stream on YouTube and you can watch it anytime. Or it's also available as a podcast, basically wherever- you listen to podcasts. So if you don't want to look at all of our four-eyed faces today, you <laughs> can listen to the audio version. We all just decided to match and wear glasses, which we don't ever do on this channel. So enjoy it while it lasts. Okay. And then also I did want, oh, and hello, you guys can also comment live and uh, tell us your thoughts live and we can even respond live. So that's a really fun part of these videos. And we hope that you will chime in with your thoughts. And yeah, I think that's all of the things that we needed to go over. Uh, this is part two. If you missed part one, that's okay. It's not like one of these books that's in order of like, you have to read one chapter before the next necessarily. So I do encourage you to go back and watch part one if you should feel so compelled. We'd go over a lot more of the background of who Charlotte Mason was and the background of the time in which she was writing. So a lot of that is actually kind of important to the rest of the book, even though for her chapters, it doesn't really matter if you read them out of order, but listening to the podcast, it might make more sense if you start with part one. All right, let's see. Out of doors life for the children. This is a big topic. And I was kind of surprised that this was a whole chapter in itself or a whole part, I should say. So I'm curious to hear uh, your thoughts, Stacy and Christine, because um, do you guys do outdoor time? Do you prioritize it? I could be better about it. I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> but what about you guys, Stacy? What do you think about outdoor time for children in general? Um, in general, so before reading any of Charlotte Mason's book, I mean, I knew it was important for kids. Kids need to be outside. They need to use those gross motor skills. Um, so it was actually interesting that a lot of what she was talking about in this chapter, like didn't really focus a lot on gross motor necessarily. It was all about like really observing and seeing and recording. And, um, so kind of different than what I had previously thought about so outside time. And yeah, so we live on some property. So the kiddos are able to go outside and just climb. We've got trees, we've got trampoline, like they can just go walking, Um, there's a lot of times when, you know, I'm doing a live and they're outside playing because they need to be out of the house. So that's where they go. So I do see a lot of importance in the outdoors for kiddos. And so it's just really interesting seeing her take and how it was slightly different than what I had originally imagined. Right. 
I want to remind everyone also, if you didn't watch or listen to part one, so Stacy is reading the modern translation of home education. This one I purchased from Amazon and I have gifted to her. And this is all, it's also available in its entirety on the amblesideonline.org website. So you can always check for it there. You can go to this link that we have on the screen. This is kidslearningforlife.com slash summer book club 2022. And it provides all the links for you for all these reading materials. Christine and I are reading the full version by Living Book Press. And that is also linked there at our summer book club page. And Christine and I do consider ourselves more Charlotte Mason homeschoolers. Christine was actually kind of brought up being homeschooled in a Charlotte Mason kind of way. So that's where we're all coming from. That's our background. So when Stacy says, you know, I didn't know what Charlotte Mason was saying about outdoor life for children, that's because she she doesn't, she's not a Charlotte Mason homeschooler, which I think this podcast, we're really trying to design it for anyone that homeschools or just any parent, because I think these are really universal concepts. Okay, Christine, back to my question. What do you yes. think about outdoor life for children? I... My goodness, I could talk about this for days, <laughs> like literally days. So um, I, like you said, was raised with a Charlotte Mason-ish education. And being outdoors is something that is so important to me. Like I believe, like apart from Jesus, like the most transformative thing for people is probably spending time outside. <laughs> like I'm probably like a psycho about it. Um, so it's something that I make a really big deal about for my kids. And I have like from the time that they were little, because I've seen the benefits in my own life. Um, and we live just as for like some context, we live in an apartment and we have for a long time, we sold our house, moved into an apartment, we're semi minimalist. Um, so we have to be really intentional about spending time outside. And it's still something that we do all the time. So reading this chapter, um, I've never read this volume before, but I'm pretty familiar with like Charlotte Mason's philosophy. But this was like, I mean, I would look like the biggest nerd. I was out by the pool the other day with my kids and my husband was with me and I'm like underlining stuff. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I don't know that very many people read Charlotte Mason and they're like slow clapping out loud for everyone to hear. But that was me. Okay. This chapter, I was like, bring it, Charlotte. This I just thought it was amazing. Like, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> bring it charlotte i love that. i mean yeah <laughs> um i have lots of words on this one but carry on i know i'm so glad you do because i'm feeling a little under the weather so i'm hoping that you can kind of like pick this up um so yes a little bit so a little bit about me too so i also live on some property like stacy does we don't live on the same property we're about an hour away from each other but uh we moved to the mountains uh yeah, like, I guess it was about three years ago. Wow. And we live on five acres now. So we moved up here kind of around the time I started homeschooling my oldest daughter. So it was like, I don't know. I never really had to do nature study or anything from the suburbs, you know? All right. So I, I like I said, I could be better about incorporating more outdoor time. I... I just get lazy. I'm personally, I know, I know it is transformative to spend time outside, but I'm like an indoor girl. Plus I work full time from home. So I'm like always just like at my desk. So I really, I could prioritize it better for myself, for my kids, but I do see the value of at least nature observation. I think that that was a big thing in this. You know, we all talk about nature study a lot. 
I don't know if the term nature study was even used in this section, but observation was used all the time. And I think observation is really kind of the, the point of nature study when it comes down to it. And also, like, if you follow Charlotte Mason, like, even just arts, the arts are all based around observation, even picture mm -hmm. study, music, anything. So, okay. Christine, I know that you had a few things that we should discuss kind of here at the top to kind of go yeah. over like, broadly what's going on in this part. So do yeah. you want to dive into some of that? Sure. Yeah. So um, I thought it was fascinating reading this. And then, you know, we talked about this last week, like how does this fit into the context of us living in 2020? And so I looked up some stats and these I, it blew my mind, you guys, it blew my mind. So again, I'm like on like one side of the bell curve, so to speak of like, I spend as much time outside as I possibly can. But um, they did a big study and they found they being, I, I don't know if it was Pew Research, so I don't want to, the average American child spends, actually, I would, you guys can come back on here. I really want to know. We can make this interactive. What do you guys think? What's your guess? Like how much time does the average American kid spend playing outside every day? Because right I had now, a guess. Yeah. And I was way off. I would say less than an hour. 30 minutes. Okay. I would say 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Four to seven minutes. Wow. What? Yes. And they spend an average of seven hours on screens, not counting what's happening at school if they're in public mm -hmm. school. So I read that and I thought, oh, my. I mean, I was already excited about this chapter, but it floored me. And then I also read in that same article that 75 <laughs> percent of children in the U.S. spend less time outside every day than prison inmates. <laughs> When you say that this is not including school time, like, cause I know schools have required recesses, which are, yes. you know, there's at least two recesses and a lunch, at least here where I am. So that's more, so that, that seven, four to seven minutes is not including the school. No, it's like, it does include it. But I think the thing, so like this actually was something we're going to probably get to this a little bit later, but I think depending on where you live, recess looks a lot different. So like, this is an average over the whole year. Like where I live in Northwest Arkansas, we have not super extreme winters, but we have months and months where there's ice or it's like literally below freezing. So they don't go outside. So I'm sure that in the summer, it's probably more, you know, but that was like the average. I thought it was like 40 minutes. That was going to be my guess. And when they said four to seven, I was like, mayday. <laughs> this is the problem. And no, then, but I'm, I'm like, but that actually, I mean, that is surprising how low it is, but like, I'm kind of one of these people that could have the kids outside more. And it's just easier sometimes not to, especially because I have a toddler, especially because yeah. they like come in with a scraped knee or they come in fighting. It's like, you know, I get it. Like I fully right. sympathize, you know? Isn't that crazy? And then the same, um, the same company looked at, analyzed, you know, people in like the 30s to 40s age group now spent way more like it's a decrease of like 90 percent like the average kid was spending like two hours a day playing outside when we were kids and now it's four to seven minutes I mean just blew my mind so I thought that that was kind of an important piece of context because like obviously in the book when we get to at least in my version it was page I think it was page like 43 and 44 it was right out of the gate she was talking about how much time children should be spending outside 
Um, and not just children, but their mothers, which I think is important. It's not, I mean, yes, you can send your kids outside, but it's also to their benefit. Um, you know, she's recommending six. And I'm like, I like four to seven minutes is not even close to six hours. So that can be kind of like overwhelming. But at the same time, I think it's kind of encouraging because even if your kid spends 40 minutes outside, like that's more than most kids are. So I think it's kind of cool to, to look at that and say, well, we can we can make a positive impact like at some level. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the 1000 hours outside thing? Yes, we've done that the past two years. I meant to mention that you can print out like a little chart and like, you know, yeah. fill it in. It is really hard actually to get to a thousand hours. Yeah. Well, think about it. That's on average, like a little less than three hours every day. Right. In one yeah. Year. And I mean, that's a that's a kind of a long stretch of time, especially if the weather is bad mm -hmm. and, you know, all sorts of factors. So I right. I applaud anyone who's made it to a thousand. Right. We almost made it last year, but that was with camping. Like we would have like 72 straight hours of camping. And when you do that a couple of times, it adds up. Yeah. Yeah. But that was really all I had for like kind of context. Um, I know there's a lot of things we're excited to talk about, like within little sections mm -hmm. in this part. I do yeah. wonder, like, what do you guys think the average would have been when she wrote this? Like, cause she, you know, she says like, oh, children should have this much time outside. Like, what do you think the average could have been? I don't know if we, there's even data to go. Find. I tried to find it. Oh. <laughs> like, you're going on, I searched and it did not. Google was not helpful. I think there was a larger diversity there. There were, she talks about this a lot, the juxtaposition between country life and city life. Like here we all kind of are suburban, like even us on rural land, it's still kind of suburban. You know what I mean? Whereas back then there were children who literally their life was just dedicated to work in the fields and like in agriculture for their family. And then there were children who live like in city streets or what the what city streets were back then and mm -hmm. didn't spend time outside. So I think there's probably a little more diversity child to child back then than there is now. That's just um, my opinion. Yeah, I think so. I, th I totally agree. Um, another interesting thought I had, which I can I'm going to kind of throw this out there and we can come back to this maybe after we've <laughs> gone through. But one of the things I've observed in being a person that's really passionate about being outside um, there's a lot, there's like a, a lack of appreciation for not only the outdoors, like kind of in our culture in general, but there's also like almost a belittlement of a lot of the skills she's talking about in this part, you know, things like navigation, like knowing which direction is North, um, being able to figure out like, you know, like how to get somewhere on a map, like those things, I think, I mean, it's probably because of technology, but I think that it feels so far removed because not only do we not have those skills anymore, but a lot of people don't need them because they have a smartphone. And then there's like this almost like, like I've had people that like, like laugh, you know, they're like, Oh, I don't, I wouldn't even be able to tell you which way was North and my life depended on it, you know? So I think it's kind of an interesting thing to think about full circle. Cause at the time she wrote this, like if you didn't have that knowledge, you would have to talk to someone who did like, there wasn't like a device where you could just pull it up and be like, Oh, this is, what I need to do. So I feel like it's easy to not value like everything in here. I don't know if you all have thoughts about that or if you agree, but yeah, I, I agree because I think all of us have, so there are two geography books that I know of that are living geography books that actually are on the Ambleside online reading schedule. And so I know Stacy and I have home geography by CC long, 
There is also one written by Charlotte Mason herself called, I believe it's called Elementary Geography. The one that I happen to have is Home Geography. Christine, do you have Elementary Geography? Yes. Yeah. Okay. We did yeah. like half of it last year and we're finishing it up this year. Yeah. These books, I highly recommend them to anyone. I mean, they're so simple, so short, really easy to use in a homeschool or just a home environment in general, just to teach your children how to like which which way which in which direction does the sun rise and which where does it set and how can you navigate based on that how to nav navigate based on the stars why rivers run they the way they do and actually i like um home geography because that actually has some poetry in there it's really cool mm -hmm. so um i i agree i think that those skills are really important that's why i got the home geography book i wasn't even trying to stick to the ambleside online schedule to a t but i was like this is actually really important to me. Would you agree, Stacey? I know you have the book too. No, yes. No, I would totally agree. And that's why when you showed it to me, I was like, oh, that's cool. And it's because it's it's so small. It, like you can't see yeah. my hands if you're listening on a podcast, but like it's not my hand, fingers are not very far apart. It's not very big. It's very simple. And it's something like what I got it for was just as kind of a reference book to where mm -hmm. we could kind of pull it out and talk about North, South, East and West, or we could pull it out and we could talk about the way the rivers run and whatnot. So that is definitely something I feel like is not in a lot of curriculum. At least it's overcomplicated if it is yeah. in there. And so yeah. I loved how this was just very short and sweet and it got you the information you needed without going crazy in depth. Yeah, and I think it does align with what she's saying in here because she doesn't go, like even when you're following the Ambleside Online schedule for geography, it's really bare bones. It's like, hey, in year one, make sure your kids know what North, South, East, West is. Like, it's really not crazy. And so I liked when I was reading this, I was like, okay, this is good to know that Charlotte herself was like, hey, just learn the basics and we'll build on that. But you just have to be exposed to the basics Um and so I was kind of surprised that the whole geography section in here was kind of bare, but um, but it was really nice. It was really refreshing to see. That. I think that's also because this is home education. So this is kids under nine because you right. really do see like a shift with geography and a couple other things once they hit. What would that be? Year three, four, whatever year that is. I've noticed I, like if yeah, you're talking about Ambleside Online or just her philosophy. Yeah. I think it's more year. Uh, I don't know. It's age 10. I know is when like, yeah, start being more. Right. I also, I also love like to add on to what Stacy was just saying. Um, and I, we may have talked about this last week, but I think it's really cool to give your kid those tools because they're not, it helps them to have a global perspective. So it's not just like this egocentric of like, Oh, I live in whatever in America. Like, and that's cause in a lot of curriculums, even homeschool curriculums, it's not even just, you know, like public school, private school, whatever. It's going to be all about like us and your kids, like, whatever age before they realize, like, oh, like, there's a whole other world with way more people than even live here. So I think it's such a cool thing to give your children for them mm -hmm. to, like, have an understanding of, like, oh, like, I live in the Northern Hemisphere or, you know, like, this is, like, I think it's so cool. I, I fully agree. Stacy and I talk about this all the time. The me on the map exercises. I remember <laughs> when my oldest was in kindergarten, that was kind of what I gravitated towards. And now I'm just like, oh, gosh, that's so cringy because I'm just I'm finding. Sorry, this is like going on a like, no, it's great. Thing, but like, you know, it's good to have such a global mindset. And I find that with Charlotte Mason curriculums that they really do focus on the big picture and you're not necessarily zooming in on you like you're mm -hmm. getting a lot of context. And I think that is so important. And also don't make your kids scared of learning about, you know, other cultures or other places like my kids were doing 
we've done our island story, which is a history of England for a year now. Like they're not, they love it. Like they're not daunted by learning about Because we came from there, you know, like the U.S. came from there. So that stuff's like important. Yeah. Yeah. It all, it all like, it all ties together. You know, it all does end up relating back to us, but the children need to be able to make those connections on their own later. So yeah, Yeah. I love, I I love the geography stuff with Charlotte Mason. And when their brains are impressionable, you know, like I had my most recent blog post and video I did was about giving your kid a global perspective because there's so many little things you can do. And geography is just one of them and nature study, honestly, to help them understand like, Oh, it's not just me. (laughs) What? Yeah. (laughs) Well, um, so I, if we're starting kind of from the beginning, just a little bit of this section. So the first part of this part is called growing time. And one of my favorite quotes from Charlotte Mason ever is in this. And I haven't read a lot of Charlotte Mason, but I've seen this quote shared elsewhere before I even read it. And I loved it even back then, but I love it even in the context of creating more outdoor opportunities for your kids. So the quote is, Mothers work wonders once they are convinced that wonders are demanded of them. Mm. And some people might be kind of like, why is this in a chapter about out of doors life for children? But I feel like as we've kind of touched on, it is kind of sometimes, strangely enough, it's difficult to make time for your kids to go outside. It's difficult to um, kind of observe nature with them in the way that she believes is best it's hard to kind of prepare these things i mean even later on in this section she talks about french lessons like i don't think any you any of us are doing french lessons but like you know so she's saying it's not easy to do any of these things that may on the surface seem easy but we should do them and i just i really love that so i don't know if you guys had any thoughts about that quote no, I love I love that a little bit further on in the same section. Um, I think it's actually maybe when she's talking about no storybooks, but it ties into that. I love that she drives home the point that like it's not our job as parents to entertain our children. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually wrote this down and then I've written it a couple other places since. But like my job is to facilitate wonder, like in the context of like little kids learning about nature, my job is to facilitate wonder, not to provide entertainment. And I just think that that's really important because it requires more of me like mentally, I guess, and some preparation, but it's not about me having like, you know, a whole felt board and like a printout for every kid to be able to do and not that they're bad, but like, it's easy to like kind of get into that. But that's not at all what Charlotte Mason is talking about here. She's like talking about facilitating like a wonder and a growth. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's really cool. Yeah, And that was one of the things, like, as I was reading through this, because, you know, we were talking about how much emphasis she put onto mothers. But, you know, in in today's times, it could be any parent, um, but mothers going out and being with their kids. So she's saying not just kids are going outside. The mothers need to be outside. So, you know, when I was first reading it, I'm like, oh, okay, send my kids outside like a ton. But she's like, no, you have to go too. And I'm like, wait, I don't want to go. I mean, I'm having this conversation with Charlotte Mason as I read. Um, and I'm just like, why do I have to go too? And, you know, it's, so it's just really interesting. And I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, but you're not going out there with a storybook and activities and all this stuff to do because the outdoors in her eyes is like enough to entertain, should be enough to entertain them. Um, and there was like another quote, I think a little bit later, 
where she says, you know, if a children is bored, then they need to look closer. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're bored with nature, they need to just look even closer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's interesting. Um, because it really is when you really, if you're just like looking, oh, there's an ant. But if you actually get down and watch, like I, we've done this out here because we actually have some big ants. And like you watch them, I, we've watched an ant carry something like across like our driveway. And I'm like, how are you holding that? So doing it together also kind of helps get them excited about it. I agree. I think, I think something she talks about is that, you know, the parent does need to facilitate these things, especially in this early age group. So yeah, that was something also that kind of surprised me because I thought, you know, I've done research on nature study before. And so I thought maybe it could be kind of done independently, but it's actually, that's not really the concept here. The concept is for the whole family to do it and for the parent to facilitate it. So yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you guys want to skip forward to something like sightseeing or picture painting? Because I'm excited to talk about those things. I'm cool with jumping to um, picture painting, like on page 48. I'm excited for this one. Okay. Yeah. Stacey had thoughts about picture painting before we started recording. So I'm curious to know. So basically what this is. So I heard about picture painting from our friend Jamie at Humble Heart Press for all your homeschool printing needs. And I was like, what is this? I've never heard of this. And so it was cool to finally see it in my book. And I'm like, oh, Jamie knows what she's talking about. And it's interesting because it's not just observing nature. It's like, it, it actually reminds me a lot. It, it, I guess this makes sense. It reminds me a lot of picture study. If you were to do a Charlotte Mason style picture study where in picture study, what it is, is you're looking at, you know, a classic piece of art. Let's just say the last supper. That's like a very big example, but let's just say the last supper, your children look at it for a while. I think it's like a couple minutes and then you have them close their eyes and they explain to you what was in the painting and they explain it in as much detail as possible. And that's basically what she's talking about here, but with nature. So it was kind of interesting to read that. It, it's, it was different than I was expecting what picture painting would be. So um, Christine, what are your thoughts on that? I love this. Like, and I feel like it ties in so well to the concept of narration. It's like mm-hmm. a mental narration. like a visual narration that you're building for yourself. Um, And I just think it's so beautiful too, to teach the skill of seeing. Like that's not something that people just learn, especially in the culture. I mean, I feel like if Charlotte Mason saw the way, the frenetic pace that we live at today, she would probably be like, okay. Um, You know, I, I remember reading a book one time and it said that the average person living in the year, it was like 2018 when the book was written, in the year 2018, receives the same amount of information every single day as a person living in the year 1900 received in their entire lifetime. And so like this was even before the year 1900, but just the concept of like, we have all these things. So it's that much easier for us to not see. So I feel like it's it's a really beautiful skill to develop like with nature but it's something that's going to stay with you your whole life. Like being able to see and absorb things mm-hmm. is invaluable. And I think there's a lot of people that don't ever learn to do that, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. And it does really tie into narration. So it's interesting because narration is something I struggle with, with Charlotte Mason education in my homeschool. And now I'm reading this book and I'm like, okay, it's making sense now. Okay. <laughs> so I need to do it. <laughs> um, okay. Stacy, what are your thoughts on picture painting? Because I don't know what's going on, but I just, you had such a strong reaction to this. I'm dying to hear this. Well, 
Okay, so backstory again. I learned all of my Charlotte Mason minus this book from Jenny's videos and <laughs> talking with Jenny. So my Charlotte Mason life is, is lived through her. Um, and so I was just introduced to the concept of like narration and understanding what it is this past year. So just like you just said, Jenny, is that picture painting is so similar to narration where you know, a child reads something and then they just ver verbalize as much of the information and retell it as they can. Um, but as I was reading through this picture painting section um, and seeing the examples she gave of, you know, what a child might say and thinking to the, to the age group that this is geared towards. And I was just like, I don't know. I think I need a lesson in picture painting because I don't know if I could produce things as eloquently as she's giving examples of what these kids should be saying. Um, and again, it all kind of goes back to that narration. I'm like, oh, okay, because I know we've been working on narration and my kiddos are still working on that. And so it would be interesting. I wish I would have had them do this before and just kind of see how, how they did this with just, you know, either a picture or just a random scene outside. And so it got me thinking that, and I've noticed it through kind of the rest of the reading is this method could almost seem intimidating to new people starting Charlotte Mason because it does seem like she has such a specific goal and it is very word heavy that um, like I felt inadequate. I was like, man, I'm glad I'm not a Charlotte Mason student because I would be failing right now. Um, so I could just see how other you know parents could be reading this and just being like, wow, that's like crazy. But as with any school topic, just chipping away at it little by little brings the mastery. So you can't just like get super intimidated and just be like, oh, that's not for me. Like, but just if you can see what the point is of the narration and of the picture painting, and it's not just about saying what you see, but it's going to help them be more observant in the future. It's going to help them be more verbal and be able to express their feelings and express what they're seeing. And those are all great things that we want our kids to be able to do in the future. So those were my takeaways. Yeah, yeah. I can I add something to that or were you go ahead? Okay. Um I I totally agree. And I think it's such a great reminder what you just said that like this book is geared towards birth through eight years old. So if a kid has been brought up learning these things, it's gonna be a lot more natural. So like the kids she's talking about have been exposed to this. Whereas like I was saying in the beginning, like a lot of adults, you would ask them where north is, they're not gonna know. You would ask them you know, what does the field outside your house look like? They're going to be like, it's green. Like, or if you live in California, it's brown. <laughs> that just depends. Like, you know what? Um, but the purpose of it, like she talks about this on page 50, is like that it's a means of like solace and refreshment. So it's like having these really like grounded, like mental images. Um, I also love this whole chapter. She has so many gems from Wordsworth, who's my favorite poet. And just the reality that all the romantic poets basically just mastered what she's talking about and then wrote about it. Like that's mm -hmm. really what the poetry was. And I still think that that's what poetry is now. So I think it's kind of a mm -hmm. cool correlation, you know, like a lot of the romantic poets were, you know, write in detail about what it was like at the pond, you know, by their mm -hmm. house when they were kids. So I think this is a lost art. So don't be discouraged if you're like, what the... Like, yeah, I don't even know how to do this. Like, it takes time, you know, to figure this. It's a different muscle. Like, most of us don't look at any one thing for more than, like, what is it, three seconds now? Like, even in movies, like, it's not the same image for more than, like, three seconds. So mm -hmm. 
I mean, we gotta we gotta give ourselves some grace. <laughs> start yeah. I think everyone who's interested in this topic of the romantic poets and observing beauty should read the truth and beauty. Uh, it's basically all about this exact topic. It's very niche, <laughs> um, but it's basically the book's argument is that the truth is beauty. And that's what the best poets do is they observe the truth, whether it's something tangible or intangible, and they depict it in writing. So it's basically narration, but in a really fully formed artistic way. And I do agree that Charlotte Mason, this whole method and everything about it seems really daunting at first. And that's why I never really committed to being a Charlotte Mason homeschooler until this past, I don't know, few months. Um, because it is. And I think that's an important part of what we're doing here on the book club is like breaking down these concepts because it seems like a lot. And also Charlotte Mason herself like writes in a way that doesn't vibe with everyone. And so even in her like examples of how kids should observe things, like that's also her writing it. So it's kind of like, take it with a grain of salt. So um, another thing, sorry, really quick is if you are interested in hearing different examples of narrations from children of different ages, I highly recommend reading um, Know and Tell by Karen Glass. This is a book, All it's a, it's a contemporary book. Karen Glass wrote it sometime within the past five or six years. And it's about how to do narration in your homeschool. And it shares tons of examples of narrations from children all different ages. And that to me was the most inspiring and heartening part of reading it because I'm like, my kids are all pretty young. So the narrations are not always the best or non-existent, basically. Mm -hmm. So it was just interesting to see other narrations by other six-year-olds, you know, because they're not going to be like the mountain in the distance, like, you know, looks <laughs> as majestic as, you know, whatever. So that's something to keep in mind too. Um, yeah. Uh, what else did we want to talk about? Nate, I wanted to talk briefly about, oh, what, Stacy? Go ahead. Okay. So this is one, it's at the very end of picture painting and so it talks about how um, if your child, let's say your child is good at picture painting and they're like magnificent or whatever. She talks a little bit about how even if your child like has this poetic knack um, to not really say anything about it, like to other people, like so basically don't brag about your child, at least not in front of them. Uh, so like, you know, don't go home and be like, oh, my gosh, Johnny, like described this field with epic proportions of scale and detail. Um, so I just thought that was really interesting how even, you know, she was saying like, you don't want to brag about your child and how good they're doing. I don't think she was necessarily trying to say like, don't tell your child, like they did well, but just like, don't make it overly a big deal because it's just kind of going to be something that they're still, even if they're great now, like they can progress um, so I don't know. I would love to know what you guys kind of thought if you remember that section. Christine, do you want to start? Yeah. So I think this is such a great example of what makes the Charlotte Mason philosophy so awesome. Because if you remember, like last week, she dug into this a bit in part one. And then in philosophy of education, she talks about this a lot. So volume six, like not having children be programmed to be motivated by results or like mm -hmm. their status or how well they're achieving or comparing to anyone else or anything like that. She even talks about like not even telling kids to be like, oh, do your best. Like, so I think that it totally aligns with her whole belief that like 
knowledge in itself is something we should want to pursue, like just to have it. So I think that like the process of kids learning to like see and then tell is really awesome. So like, it's not really fair to, you know, compare or say like, oh, because I think if you're like, we're, you know, affirming your kid, it can be nice, but then it can also make them feel like they've arrived (laughs) or kind of make them misunderstand. Like the point isn't like, how good am I at this? The point is I'm learning this skill, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I love that you brought that up because I think that it's so easy in our culture now because we're ingrained with competition and awards and all those things. And like Charlotte Mason just adamantly believed that they were destructive (laughs) to like kids learning, which is really hard when it's so much a part of our culture, but I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's a really great reminder. Yeah. I think humility is a big important virtue in a Charlotte Mason education. This goes back to how we teach geography and Mm. all this stuff. It's not about me, me, me. It's about everybody. It's about a bigger global picture. And also going back to like results and like not letting your kids get too big headed. Um, Christine and I lately have actually been talking a lot about Charlotte Mason exams. And this is something I've been diving into lately. And I've actually fallen in love with the idea of how her exams are set up. And I know Stacy, you probably haven't looked at this yet, but like basically <laughs> it's not like, because I literally just found out about these Charlotte Mason exams and I'm is, blown away. Is this away a book? Them. Like where are you learning this information from? No. So I've been going off of Ambleside online. They provide okay. exams based on the readings. So it, as long as you're following the exact Ambleside online schedule, at least roughly, then you can do the exams. And basically it's not to, it's not really even to assess. I, I find it hard to explain, but it's like assessing what your child already knows, but you're not d- taking anything away from them for not knowing something. And it's yeah. also assigned to the teacher of what needs to be taught more or how things can be taught. Go ahead, Christine. I know you've done a lot of research on this lately too. Um, I, yeah, I think you said it well, like it's determining what does your kid know and what are they understanding from how I'm teaching this to them or how they're learning it. Um, you know, I love, I don't even remember what book I originally saw this in. It was some kind of like Charlotte Mason companion. It might've been Karen Andreola's book, but it gave an example of a question you could ask for an exam. And again, I think it's so important when we're thinking about like, like the term study, like nature study or exams, we think like, well, I'm, I'm going to date myself, but Scantron, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like a piece of paper and a pencil where it's like, there's a right answer. There's a wrong answer. And you're doing whatever which really doesn't tell you anything about what someone does know. So your goal in these exams is to figure out what does my child know? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes they know things you don't even realize they picked up or you realize, wow, like they somehow picked up this whatever, but that's not even actually like what we were learning. Um, Or sometimes they might know even more than what you realize. So like the question of, and I use this all the time and my kids are, 9 and 11 and I asked them like tell me like in nature study tell me what you know about the habits of squirrels for example so it's very open-ended and it gives them the ability to say like you know squirrels live outside I mean like some kids like one of my kids is very to the point and she'll be like they're an animal you know and then I'm like and what else you know and she explains <laughs> and other ones are like well sometimes they live together you know and it's like this really imaginative whatever but the exams are really are really that. So it doesn't mm-hmm. box your child into like, what's their personality? How do they like store information or regurgitate it? It gives them like an open-ended format for you to be able to really figure out like, what do they actually know? 
Because right. sometimes it might be way more than what you realize. But if you don't ask the right question, then you don't know. Like I remember a mentor once told me the more beautiful the question, the more beautiful the answer is. Mm-hmm. So when you can ask a question that's like like that, like tell me what you know about the habits of water mollusks or what whatever it is, like they're going to be able to tell you a lot of information. And it's not just like in the year 1412, like, you know, it, I think yeah. it's stressful for some kids. I, um, and something also to mention, I don't know up until what age it is, but all the exams are done like verbally out loud. So if your child is not a confident writer, then they can still have their results. I don't know. Their answers be completely, um, conveyed. So it's not, it's not about the physical writing. It's about the ideas. What is going on? (laughs) Go ahead and talk about the next topic. Okay. The thing I'm really excited to go to is page 52 in my book. And it's talking about the study of trees. I don't know what it says in your version, Stacey, but oh my goodness, I loved this. I loved this so much, but I just thought what a practical way to be able to help a child or an adult. I mean, I'm not even going to lie. I'm going to do this like really be in touch with the trees in their environment. And I'm pretty sure everybody, no matter where you live, there is a tree somewhere near where you live that you could see on a regular basis. (laughs) But just this concept of like trees as year long friends. Mm -hmm. Like you pick a tree. For those of you that have allergies, they might not be your friend. Right. Um, (laughs) You can observe them from inside. Like, or you know what? Like somehow you could drive by. I mean, honestly, even if you're not outside, like you, there could be a tree you pass by on your way to the grocery store every, every other day, whatever, like just singling out like a single tree and deciding like, Hey, that's going to be your buddy. I mean, name it, whatever. Like my kids love naming plants. All of our plants have names. This is Gloria in case you want to know. But there could be a tree. (laughs) There could be a tree that you're like, you know, and you just pick one. So like, I know this next year and my kids um, are older than like what this book is really geared towards. So reading this, I'm like really encouraged about some of the things that I had my children do. But then I'm like, dang it, I wish I would have read this earlier because there's things I didn't do. And now they're out of this age group. But that being said, like, I'm still going to have them like this next year, pick two trees like in the forest behind our house and say like, this is your tree. Like you're going to go out and check on it. You know, not, not that it's going to go anywhere, but you know what I mean? Like you're going to go look at it once a month. And that's really ties into um, the next page. It talks about calendars. I don't want to jump too far ahead because there's some really good stuff in here, but just the idea of having a calendar, this blew my mind for them to actually record like what they're seeing on certain days of the year. Like my older daughter has always loved calendars. Like she just loves it. Like she's very organized. She always wants to write things down. And even though she's 11, like I know she will love this. So I just think it's such a tangible way. Cause again, like I'm not a herbologist or a any, you know, like I don't have a knowledge of like, Oh, I'm going <laughs> to, I know what every native plant is here. Like, I don't know, but we can do something that simple. So I know I got a little excited and kind of took over the whole thing, but tell me what you guys think about the trees and the calendar. I love that. My oldest daughter loves a calendar too. And I'm like, it's kind of the way that I get her to write things, honestly, is having her categorize or write the date or whatever. So um, I love it. And it's, it's, um, I think something I wanted to talk about really quick is kind of like nature journals, because I feel like they have good intentions and I don't think they're necessarily bad, but 
I mean, Charlotte, I mean, they didn't exist back when Charlotte Mason was writing this, but that's not what she's really talking about. She's talking about like a blank notebook, which I love because I think that's like the best way to bring out your creativity and observation is use a blank notebook. And that's what I've tried to convey in my nature study videos that I've done is like, hey, nature studies journals are cute and great. And if you love it and it gets your child writing and all this stuff, then great. But I... I feel like nothing works better than a blank notebook. So yeah. What Stacey, Amen. what do you think Amen. about the trees? Sorry, say that one more time. I was reading comments. What do you think about trees? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad this is my favorite topic. No. Okay. So yes, I saw this and I was super excited um, to hear kind of her thoughts. And so I did think it was funny. I, I can't remember if I wrote down the quote, um, but just noticing how specific Charlotte Mason is with some things. And I just got a laugh because she was talking about like, oh, they'll be able to learn trees in the winter and they'll get to see their trunks. And she's like, they don't need to learn the name of each tree yet. That mm -hmm. can wait until leaves appear. I'm like, oh, good. At least we don't need to learn the names yet. I don't know. It's just so funny how she's always talking about give them the right words for this, give them the right words. But it's like the names of the trees wait till they have leaves. Like that one little random caveat that she talked about. I'm like, okay. So well, you know what's interesting? In these early years of Ambleside Online, a Charlotte Mason curriculum, if you guys didn't know already, <laughs> um, it, it doesn't, for like natural science, it doesn't like give any specific like science books, right? It, you're not learning facts. What you're reading is James Harriet's Treasury for Children. You're reading the Burgess Bird book, which if you've ever read these, these are not like necessarily giving facts, but it's exposing your child to kind of just the overall generality of nature and how different plants or different animals um, kind of relate to each other in nature. And I think it really inspires their curiosity and imagination. I also see the same thing with parables from nature, which is hands down my number one favorite book from year one of Ambleside Online. And everyone hates it, but I, not my family, my, my kids <laughs> love it. But I see people complain about the book all the time and I put off doing it. I put off doing it. We did all the year one readings within like a few weeks, which I know is very not Charlotte Mason. So please don't knock me for that. But uh, it talks about nature in this really captivating way. So it's not necessarily using all the scientific terms mm -hmm. and you're not really getting the full like diving into exactly what something is, but it's introducing it to the child and making them inspired by it. So I, I, yeah, I just love that. Yeah. And that ties into kind of in between, we we're just looking at on page 53, she's talking about flowers I underlined this. This was so cool. So she's like talking about like, imagine if we'd never seen a flower and all of a sudden it just pops up and she goes through this whole thing. And then she says, the flowers, it is true, are not new, but the children are. And it is the fault of their elders if every new flower they come upon is not to them a picola, a mystery of beauty to be watched from day to day with unspeakable awe and delight. And I just thought that that was so profound because and convicting because there have been so many times, you know, you think about like kids, you're like walking on the sidewalk and like your little kids stop because they're like, oh, well, roly poly. And they're all excited. And you're like, OK, come on, we got to, you know, we're going. Yeah. But like to them, they're seeing it for the first time. And that's like this untapped, like awe and wonder, which is really what Charlotte Mason is trying to develop, I really think, through nature yeah. study, because it's going to serve them their whole lives. Um, when you were talking about the nature notebooks, um, my girls for several years, actually probably like four or five years, even when they were in public school for a time, we did 
nature journals through the summer. Um, but I had just like reined in whatever nature, you know, actual nature journals, which again, I think so many prepackaged things are a ripoff. <laughs> so just my I agree. Sense. But I remember as a child, and I still have them, you guys, I have random, janky, like sketchbooks where I would go out wherever and I have like four leaf clovers I taped in there. I drew pictures of ants, but like I can remember, like these were formative experiences. Like, I mean, like they meant so much to me. And I don't keep anything, honestly. I hardly have anything from my childhood. But I just, I want to be able to give that to my kids. So I'm glad you brought up the nature journal. Like it doesn't have to be complicated. Like get them a mm -hmm. notebook. Like let them go out there and write down whatever they want or draw whatever they want. Like totally. It's such a blessing. Really quick about flowers. Um, people who like Charlotte Mason tend to like literature and you'll notice flowers are like a big thing in a lot of books. Or if you know what different flowers represent, it's kind of like you have a little clue as to what the author is trying to say. So that's always kind of fun. And that's like my, when, I'm not into the outdoors. Like I'm being completely honest here. I don't really like camping. I don't like hiking. I, I'd much rather be indoors, but I do, I, I appreciate nature. I moved out to the country for a reason, but, um, my, what, how I get inspired and encouraged and motivated to learn what different plants are is because I want to know what they are. If they're referenced like in a book or if I see them, so I, so sorry, this is like kind of embarrassing. Sometimes when I'm in like fast food drive throughs lines, there are always like plants there. And the, my daughters are always like, what's that plant? What's that plant? So I take a picture and I send it to my mother-in-law. And then she'll tell us what happened. <laughs> <laughs> study in Taco Bell drive-through line, but, but it's everywhere. Like that's yeah, such a great really example. Is. Like it really is everywhere. Right. Okay. So we're like going a little long here, but I want to talk about living creatures a bit because I love living creatures. And this is talking about you know outdoor creatures. Like all of us are living creatures, but you know we're talking about nature here. And, um, I wanted to hear your guys's thoughts on this whole section. I didn't really have a ton of thoughts other than this is great. So what, what specific thoughts do you guys have about living creatures? Which, which section is this? I'm sorry. I got lost in my notes. It's, over it's section five. It's right after the flowers and trees. Okay. So I don't know if you had anything there. Um, Stacy, did you have any notes on this section here? Um, I did like how she was talking about, like, how can a person be irritable or sullen or stubborn when he's always preoccupied with nature? Um, I thought that was kind of interesting. And again, that kind of came back to that whole, if they're bored, make have them look closer. Mm -hmm. um, so that was in interesting. And I also just loved her. There was a little section um, titled Nature Observation, Especially Valuable for Girls, um, talking about how, like, girls have more time to like with their brain because boys are off doing things and they're mm -hmm. busy. Um, but girls like have nothing better to do, but just sit around and talk about nature. I just book of the times. I just thought it was very interesting. Um, but one thing with the, the animals or the plants or anything that she did mention is for the parent or the mother that is not, that doesn't know about it already. Um, I really, as I was reading through this, I'm like, but I don't know any, like, I mean, I know stuff about nature, but I don't know enough. Like, you know, I also send pictures of plants to my mother-in-law, which is Jenny's mother-in-law, because she has an <laughs> app that tells us what plant this is. And when they ask, I'm like, I don't know, click and like, hey, tell me what this plant is. So another thing that she talked a lot about was like getting a reference book. And so one of my favorites, I don't know if Charlotte Mason would approve because I feel like it's too colorful and exciting. Um, but like, I love these 
nature anatomy. It has like the farm anatomy and the food anatomy and everything by Julia Rothman. But they're super like beautiful. Like you open it up and there's so many different like options of pictures. Like here's a bunch of turtles. Like, did you know there were that many turtles? I didn't. Um, so just finding something and my kids were occupied with this and they were looking through this not necessarily like memorizing things, but just, and I was looking at it. I'm like, wow, this is so cool. Look at all these different flowers and plants. Like, I don't even think these are just sedges, rushes and grass. This is grass. This is a page of grasses guys. And it's just so beautiful. And so it gets me, the parent also excited to talk about it. Not that everything we find outside we can find in this book. It's not like a full like thing, but being able to find, if you live in Arkansas, finding a book about Arkansas wildlife, finding a book. There are books that are specific to your area. And that way, when you come across things that are in your area, you can be better prepared with answers. Yeah, I love that. We have that whole collection of those books. We've had those for a couple of years and my kids love them. Um, and then I think, I think Charlotte Mason would approve, honestly, because I know she was a believer in people having like field guides for their region. And I think that that really is kind of like an introductory field guide, I would say. Um, another book that I know, I think Charlotte Mason actually even recommended was Anna Comstock's nature handbook, I think is what it's called. We have it and we use it all the time. The pictures in there, like they have photographs and they're old. Okay. I mean, they're, I don't even know when they came from, but like, you can look up like squirrels, for example. So like you're looking at squirrels and your kid's like, why is it doing this? And you're like, I don't know. Yeah. It's super <laughs> in depth. It's yeah, and it good. gives you like a ton of information, so it's really helpful. Yeah, that one that one is a good one, and I recommend the version by Living Book Press. I keep wanting to buy it. It's like a very thick book, so it's yes. one of the more expensive ones on his website. But I'm like, okay, one of these days I'm going to ask for it as a present, like as a gift, because it is really cool. And mm -hmm. you can actually see it for free. I think it's like on Gutenberg.com org or whatever where it's available as an ebook online but it's like the kind of thing you want to have and carry around with you you don't mm -hmm. want it on the computer so mm -hmm. yeah um okay let's what other what other sections here did we want to devote some time to because we're running we're going long which is fine but i just want to make sure we talk about all these other sections because there's so much here <laughs> i'm looking ahead and i'm like whoa okay. i know I have, but there were a lot, I, but I could probably narrow it down to two more that I thought were super important. Okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't I think, know about you guys. <laughs> we talked about this before, but I think like this section is kind of like the last one in a bit, like this part, because the beginning is like, wham, bam, like, wow, cool. And then like towards the end, it's kind of like, mm, okay. So <laughs> yeah. What, what else did you want to bring up, Christine? Cause I'm dying to know your thoughts. Um, so the first thing kind of ties into what we were just talking about, but um, it kind of, kind of this whole section when she's talking about like understanding boundaries and distance and direction. And honestly, that was a really practical section. Like mm -hmm. you could read that like a manual, <laughs> like how do I teach my kid and where I these different things are. I do think there are parts of this book and especially later when we get to part five, that will be like a manual, which actually right, kind of to that. like you're going to come yeah. back here and be like, okay, how to teach my kid where the sun, you know, like you look, yeah. um, I think that, like, obviously, this was before technology took over everything. I mean, they probably thought it had with the Industrial Revolution, but they didn't really know yet <laughs> at this time. But I think there's so much value in, like, empowering kids 
to ask people what they know about things if they don't know or to use these living books. Mm-hmm. Like I'm probably, I mean, it probably seems a little ridiculous, but I try as best as I can to not have my kids ask Google, even though I'm telling you sometimes it is so much faster to be like, hey, Google, how long do squirrels live? I keep using the squirrel example, but um, it's a good one. Oh my gosh. Sorry. She heard me. Now she can't. Google, Google runs my life. It really does. Okay. Sorry. She heard me from over here. Um, So anyways, I don't know if you had other thoughts about that, but I kind of wanted to add that. And then there's um, something I really wanted to talk about, which is towards the end, page 85, when it's talking about bad weather. Mm -hmm. Um, This is another thing I blogged about quite a bit last year. So if you want to see all of this in detail, it's on my blog, christinegustin.com, and it's under the homeschool tab, and it's like tips for spending time outside when the weather's bad. So this is something being born and raised in California, I don't think I really had an understanding of, because like it gets hot in California, you know, it rains, there's days when like spare the air, but it's a whole different ballgame when you live somewhere where you're like, there is a wind chill of two degrees and like literally I'm going to have to bundle up to go outside. But I loved that she talked about this, like still making it a priority to be outside because I think it's so easy to not, but yes. it's super important. So I was kind of curious, like what y'all took away from this section. I guess this is uh, part 12. It's like towards the very end, but she goes over. I mean, she's talking about like what kind of garments to wear mm-hmm. <laughs> and bird yeah. stocking. So she kind of goes off in the weeds a little bit, but I really want to know kind of what y'all I think about that. I love that part. And I think that's part, that part kind of resonated with me because I've made it clear. I'm not like a big outdoors person. I don't make my kids go outside as much as I should, blah, blah, blah. But I do think that one thing that we have had to do out of necessity after moving up here is be outside more in bad weather. Here's an example. This is the most extreme example I have, but it snows up here where I am. Yes, it snows in California. Okay. (laughs) People don't realize that, but it does in certain parts. So um, we had this, the, um, the week after Christmas, basically this past year, we had this terrible freeze. Everything froze over. We had like eight inches of snow. It was crazy. Like, n- like nothing we had ever seen up here. All these trees knocked over, no power, blah, blah, blah. So we had left for a couple of days because I needed to be able to work and I couldn't work from here with no internet and no power. So we left for a few days, spent some time with Stacy. And then we came back and we came back, we got back way later than expected. It was dark. It was cold. Everything wasn't just snow, but it was ice. Okay. And we had been gone for a couple days and we had to go feed the goats. And I was like, girls, I have a lot to do. I have to go put all of this frozen stuff away. Like it was a mess. But I said, you girls need to go out there in your snow boots and get bundled up. You guys need to go feed the goats. And that's, this is no small feat. I mean, this is down a hill, like, and then walking back up a hill. They were, they were upset the whole time. Um, (laughs) But it's like, it's just what has to be done sometimes. And I think that was really a good moment for them (laughs) because it's like, you know, you take the good with the bad and it's important to also observe nature when it's a little bit treacherous or less comfortable. So I just, I really loved that part of this book Mm -hmm. as well because we think of nature study, oh, beautiful spring day, but it's not always like that (laughs) by far. Actually for most people, it's not most of the time. Yeah. Well, and one thing that I, when we moved out here to our property where there's a lot of dirt and when you mix rain and dirt, did you guys know that you get like a ton of mud and (laughs) children are like magnets to mud. So I had 
we they we were giving them shovels like when we first like here like go dig random things or whatever and so they ended up like then it started raining and they had these like holes and they were like digging and they were literally just like mud covered children and the inside like my like OCD like was like oh my gosh you guys are like making a mess and you're but I had to like stop myself and think about it be like okay what are they hurting like it's not like they're in sewage they're just in dirt that is mixed with water so I had to just like take a deep breath and be like it's okay they can sit there and play in dirt and they learned like they learned if there's a certain puddle and you stick your foot in and then your foot gets stuck and you come out and your shoe is left in the hole you have to wait until we dig it out later that year um (laughs) we're like we know there's a shoe in here but we couldn't find it when it was all muddy So anyway, they, you know, they learn a lot about things in bad weather and that's kind of, you know, you got to learn not just the spring happy summer days, but also like the, the bad times as well. Yeah. I think that, um, gosh, I love this topic so much. I've read a lot about this. So really quick, I want to give, I know we're wrapping up, but a couple books that pertain to this. So if you're like someone that wants to read something in modern language that relates to this, there's a book called, there's no such thing as bad weather. And it's written by a Scandinavian mother and it will blow your mind because this is like current day. I think sometimes when we read stuff like Charlotte Mason, we're like, this was 150 years ago. Like, how is this relevant? Um, But the book there's, and I could not tell you what her last name is, but it's a blue cover. It's really cute. There's no such thing as bad weather, but she talks about, you know, in Scandinavia, I mean, it's like, it's, you're like close to the North pole in some areas over there. And they're like outside, like they moved to the States and she's like, there's snow days. Like, what is wrong with these people? There's nobody at the park. It's only 20 degrees. Like, where is everyone? So I think a lot of it's perspective. Um, There's also a book called last child in the woods. And it's phenomenal. If you want to learn more about just like what the benefits of being outside are. Cause I do think there's some people that maybe need to learn like understand still before they're going to buy into like yeah I'm going to go out with my allergies and whatever like why is this actually worth it there's a book called wild and free and that's by Ainsley Arnett I do remember the name of that author that's brilliant super modern day language I believe she's a Charlotte Mason home educator Um, and there's a one more book called the last the art of reaching reading nature's signs and this is written by like a naturalist and it is such a cool resource i use it all the time because it's him talking about like how to determine you know which direction you're going based on the stream and the birds poop i mean like maybe not really but like crazy stuff that you're like oh like people used to know these things and i don't anymore so if you want to read even more which i'm sure that's the first thing you want to do after reading this those books are awesome that's great. Yeah. Um, we'll make sure to put links in the description here once this video is posted after the live is over, because I do think that a lot of people who are inspired by the section are going to really benefit from all those resources that you shared, Christine. Maybe you'll find some some like soulmates out there that just right. buy up all these books. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I think we're just about done with this section. I think towards the end, it gets a little more like children need certain kind of air. They need to wear certain things. You kind of talked about that, Christine. So I don't really want to get too much into that because, you know, it's all a product of its time, but I do think, you know, it's worth reading at least once. So if you have the book, you should go ahead and finish the chapter and we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can always come back and comment back on this video. Um, you can also find us on sh- social media. We're at Kids Learning for Life basically everywhere. That's on Instagram, Facebook. You can email us at kidslearningforlife at gmail.com. 
Again, this is a podcast and a YouTube video, so feel free to like and subscribe. That's super helpful, and you can always leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, what else? Is there anything else that anyone wanted to add here just right before we sign off? No? Okay. Well, thank you all for being here and watching and listening, and we will be back next week. Oh, what is part three? I don't know off the top of my head. Habits. Oh, habits. Ooh, I'm, oh, I'm excited yeah. about this one. Yeah. I think we're we're all lighting up over here. So part three, habit is 10 natures. So we'll be back at this time next week to discuss part three, which I'm yes. really excited about. <laughs> Yay. Thank all right, you. Bye, everybody. Bye. See you next time.